all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, is a show that explores issues that relate to you and your family. To find out what we're all about, subscribe to the podcast by using any podcast app or by downloading our MPB Public Media app. Dr. Jimmy Stewart, and uh, you have reached Southern Remedy. This is the program where we deal with your medical questions, and uh, you can reach us by phone with those. That's right. You get to sort of determine our um, what we're going to talk about, um, and that's uh, a great way to uh, really get the program uh, started is by you calling in. But just wanted to reach uh, out to you and say, hey, happy summer. This is the first day of summer. So this is the summer solstice uh, today, uh, June the 21st. And with that uh, begins a lot of hot, humid days. We've already been experiencing those, certainly in the south and in Mississippi. But um, there's um, always uh, a lot more of that ahead of us. So it's the longest day of the year, for us at least, here in Mississippi. And um, certainly we've got lots of opportunities to get out there and start new things. You can start um, a new physical activity program, or um, if you uh, you know have been meaning to uh, get out there and get more active or want to take that vacation and really uh, take advantage of all this nice weather, now's the time to do it. You just want to make sure that you're careful about things. If you do have chronic medical problems like hypertension or diabetes uh, or heart disease, you do want to check with your physician first about what you can and can't do and how to be careful about that. And certainly if you're going to be outside, you want to make sure that you're hydrating appropriately, uh, that you're paying attention to how you feel through those activities. And again, just following that sort of doctor's prescription for exercise because it is important. And the other thing is um, making sure that you take some safety precautions. So we know during summertime, there's certainly a lot of uh, opportunities for little critters to get uh, access to it, whether those are mosquitoes or ticks or fleas. Um, Depending on where you are and your situation, certainly that can be uh, something that you want to avoid. We may, if we have some time, take uh, a dive into those areas. If you can't call us, you can always email us. That email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. We also realize you may not be able to always listen live to all of our spectacular programs that are produced here at MPB, but uh, you can always go to our either our website or go to your favorite podcasting app and search for whichever program you want to hear. Maybe you just heard a 
partial part of a conversation, you want to go back and listen to that, or maybe that's the best way for you to listen to our programs. We do want to offer that to you, so you can just search for, uh, as it pertains to this program, Southern Remedy on MPB Online, and uh, again, download that on your favorite podcasting app and listen to us at your leisure. So we mentioned all the hot weather and sort of what that, uh, you know, what plays into it. I get these questions a lot about hydration. I know a lot of people like to hydrate with different things, and certainly there's a little bit of science there, but a whole lot of opinion. And uh, anytime you have something like that, uh, you really need to pay pay attention and just understand, you know, the differences as, that uh, go into the science of it. Um, it is super hard to keep up with volume loss and electrolyte loss in the South. And again, that's because of extreme heat and because of the humidity factor. You're just not able to cool down as appropriately as you could through sweating. And, um, you know, if you if you don't have those other medical conditions that might limit how much volume you take in on a regular basis, even if you do, going outside and, and uh, sweating a lot more, uh, certainly you need to, to pay attention to those volume losses. Probably the best way to do that is to stay hydrated before you go out. And um, I know a lot of people will say, well, how much Gatorade, Powerade, Pedialyte mixed with something else, whatever your your favorite rehydration drink is, what what do I need to do beforehand? Honestly, I'm a big proponent of just drinking water beforehand and eating a healthy diet. That's um, probably the best way. A lot of those drinks can have a number of things in them that, again, can um, not set you up for success when you go out in the in the heat. Uh, they have a lot of sugar a lot of uh, sodium, and if you're not actively exercising while you drink those, then that might actually give you extra calories that you don't need. And some people drink Gatorade all day long. They're like, yeah, when I, I'll be ready when I go outside. Actually, you only need it if you're going to be out there much more than about 30 to 45 minutes. So water's perfectly fine with a healthy diet. Um, to hydrate beforehand. And uh, certainly if you're a younger athlete, if you've got a younger athlete in the home, that's what I would suggest to them. So I know they get a lot of information from coaches that may not have all the scientific basis behind that, but um, that is important to stress to them. They may be getting some extra stuff that they just don't need. And then if you are out there for longer than about 30 or 45 minutes, Taking frequent breaks certainly does help. Um, during the activity, about every uh, five to ten minutes, uh, if you you know, depending on the type of activity, you might want to take a little bit of water so that you don't fall behind. But after that 45-minute mark, you are losing a lot of electrolytes uh, just by being out in the heat and humidity. And there are uh, again a lot of things you could choose from. I would suggest not watering down anything after that because they do have specific levels of sodium, potassium, and uh, uh, glucose or sugar in them that can help you stay hydrated. But definitely taking some breaks with that and really paying attention to how you feel. If you've got a bad headache, if you're feeling nauseated, if you're feeling dizzy, those are all warning signs that you may be getting dehydrated to the point or overheating to the point where you might have heat exhaustion or even heat stroke. So you definitely want to get out of the sun, out of the heat, into a cooler place, um, let your body temp come down, and then uh, sort of wait that wait a little bit before you go back out. 
And keep in mind, too, that it may take you a while to get acclimatized to that. So particularly if you're going to a, uh, a heated environment or even if you're in that environment but you're just inside a lot and now you're getting outside for the first time, it can take your body uh, a few weeks actually to get acclimatized to that. So jumping into it is probably not the best option. You know, another thing people ask about is sun exposure, um, not just with the heat, but also with uh, damage to your skin. That's uh, If you want to accelerate those losses of fluids, and certainly you would want to do that, one of the best ways that our bodies keep those, you know, keep us from getting dehydrated is our skin. And it is a uh, non-permeable for most most. Um, in most cases, that just means things don't transfer across it. So it is a great package that our bodies, all the inside parts are packaged in to prevent a lot of losses. And you you might say, well, why do we sweat? Well, that's actually to cool us down. So that's the main way that the body cools us down is that we sweat and that, uh, that uh uh, sweat that's on our skin then evaporates and has some ev- evaporative cooling, which is also why in a human environment it doesn't work as well, just because it just sort of sits there and can't evaporate as much. But if you um, if you think about back to the skin, you know, if you damage that in any kind of way, um, then it's going to accelerate the amount of fluid losses that you have. And certainly, sun damage is one of the best ways to do that uh, if you're if you're looking to damage skin, and that can last for a long time. I know a lot of people say, "Well, if I just get burned one good time, I'll be good." They go to the beach or they go outside, and uh, they'll get burned and then get into some problems with um, with uh, fluid loss. So, protecting your skin uh, by applying sunblock is certainly a good idea to do. Or, if you don't like just having all the sunblock on, you're wearing some loose-fitting clothing. Certainly, we have a lot more options than when I was growing up with uh, heavy cotton, you know, materials that were soaked, drenched. I can remember being outside and just being there wasn't a dry stitch of clothing on me just because of sweating when I was when I was growing up. But uh, the newer clothings are actually really good uh, at both blocking the rays of the sun and also helping uh, with evaporative cooling. So the materials do wick that away, and there's several different kinds of that uh, and that you can uh, that you can look at. Even you know, I can remember when they first came out with some of the long sleeve shirts for the beach, and certainly I thought, man, that's sort of crazy. But if you wear one of those and it is designed to cool you down. It actually can cool you down really effectively and block those harmful UV rays from getting to your skin and giving you that bad sunburn. So might want to check that out. might be worthwhile. A wide-brim hat that blocks those rays of the sun is also good. Uh, There are some fabrics that they have with those hats, too, that can help protect you against that UV radiation. When you get out there in the sun, and uh, and I, I should stress, too, the younger you are getting a sunburn, that actually does more long-term damage to the skin than if you're older. Certainly when you're older, it's you still can damage that skin and want to apply that sunblock. At least, um, you know, a, a 15 SPF. Uh, don't forget to reapply that after about an hour or two. You know, you sort of want to reassess some things and take a break. But uh, reapplication is probably one of the main uh, main causes or failure to reapplicate that, uh, reapply that uh, sunblock is probably one of the main reasons why people get those sunburns. But um, 
doing that can help at least reduce your risk uh, of, of having anything uh, to, to damage your skin. We mentioned those critters, too, which can be outside during the summertime, and certainly those can be anything from, uh, you know, mainly mosquitoes is probably one of the bigger ones. Thankfully, we do have some very effective ways of um, of avoiding those mosquitoes. Um, sunblock oftentimes can be mixed in with a um, substance to uh, a mosquito repellent. And the one thing I would say about that is the uh, repellent, you want to make sure that you read the instructions on that because when you reapply, it may be different from the, depending on what's in that to deter mosquitoes or other insects that might be biting you, um, than the actual uh, sunblock. So just keep that in mind. There may be some differences uh, because those are combined together. Uh, DEET is probably the most effective thing. It's in a little bit lower quantities now, which is good, but you want to be careful uh, if you have an infant that uh, you don't uh, apply too much of that on them. There are some non-DEET alternatives, things like pyrethrins, which are made from a substance of plants. It's a deterrent. Uh, there's all kinds of other things, all kinds of lemon, uh, eucalyptus oil, which smells like a lemon zinger, if you were wondering about that. Um, but uh, there are all kinds of other things that you can do like that. Citronella around, you have to have a lot of it, and it is, it is uh, one of those plants that mosquitoes don't like uh, to, uh, to be around, so that's something else to think about. And also looking at your water sources that mosquitoes can reproduce in, because they can reproduce very quickly. Uh, even the catch pots underneath your catch basins underneath your pots outside, uh, you want to check those and make sure that you're not having a lot of water in there because they can reproduce in uh, less than an inch of water, actually, and very quickly um, come and get you. Uh, so you want to make sure that you're uh, avoiding uh, those, those, that water standing around uh, around your house. And then there's also, uh, we mentioned clothing to block the rays of the sun to uh, help it with evaporative cooling. Uh, you can get a triple whammy with that and actually get one that act that has things woven into the fabric that, um, you know, at least for 20 to 50 washings, however, you know, whatever's on the, uh, the label of the, uh, the clothing can help deter mosquitoes as well. So that's sort of a nice way to your skin to feel clean and unclogged, but you're uh, avoiding the sun, you're avoiding those mosquitoes, and you can go out there and have a good time and stay a little bit cooler. I'm going to go to our first caller now. This is Barbara from Boonville. Good morning, Barbara. Uh, I'm wondering what makes your blood pressure drop when you go outside. Um, it like gets under 100 on top and yep. uh, maybe 60-something on the bottom. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, blood pressure is designed to deliver enough blood and oxygen and nutrients to, to all of our body, but in particular, those organs that are most important, right, like your heart, your, uh, your brain. So what happens when you go outside, and there's a couple of things. So number one, you start moving around more, and your body's really good about conserving where it puts blood. It's not like every place in your body gets the same amount of blood every minute. Um, your muscles, for instance, so when, when they aren't actively moving, 
you really don't deliver, you know, you deliver less blood to them than if you were moving. So if you're moving out in the garden or outside with your plants or even just taking a stroll, that's going to, uh, your body's going to automatically deliver more blood to those extremities. And that can uh, actually decrease your blood pressure a little bit. Now, your heart and, and your, your brain sort of regulates that, and it, it sort of increases uh, tone in your, in your blood vessels, and uh, your heart uh, beats faster to try to keep the same amount of blood or to increase the amount of blood to those organs. So that's one, one thing. Even in the cold months, if you're doing significant exercise, that can help. You know, that can actually lower your blood pressure because it's, it's sort of shunting it away to those muscles. The other is that your uh, blood vessels are made up of two components, right? You have arteries that deliver blood from your heart to the rest of your body, and then you have veins that basically take that blood back to the heart so that it can pick up oxygen in your lungs and complete the circuit. So the veins also, they can... uh, they're they're not quite as um, they're very thin walled, so it's almost like a really thin rubber tube, and they can dilate. And you've probably seen this if you go out if you go from a cold room, you, the veins on your hands or in your arms or or even legs aren't as noticeable um, as when you're outside. And the reason for that is they do dilate, and you have more blood that's brought to the surface of your skin. So again, that you can cool down faster. So it's a all about that evaporative cooling and your body's sort of natural air conditioner with doing that. But the other big one is just the the water loss that you have. So when you go outside, um, you're in the heat, especially, you're going to lose a lot of volume. And um, for some people, particularly if they're being treated for hypertension or if they have heart failure or kidney disease, all three of those conditions and a few more will uh, sort of accentuate that effect. So a lot of the medications we use to treat high blood pressure like diuretics or the angiotensin receptor blockers, it may blunt the body's effect, uh, the body's response to those effects of losing more water. So complicated mechanisms, but the biggest one probably is the heat. And if your body's not really, you know, if it's not at 100% for whatever reason, you can lose a lot of volume fast. And I tell people, too, you know, if you if you have hypertension, you go outside, your blood pressure drops to those numbers you mentioned or sometimes even lower, then that's an indication that you are getting dehydrated. You may want to come inside, uh, sit down, uh, try to relax, get you a drink of water, and then uh, sort of monitor that blood pressure after that. Okay. Well, that's what we've been doing. Like when we go out and it drops, we come in and drink the water, and it does bring it back up. Uh, yeah. You know, but you have to drink, you know, maybe a eight-ounce glass, maybe. Uh, right. Maybe a four-ounce first, and then... A few minutes, drink a little more, and it'll bring it on back up. Uh, Barbara, do you, do just, you do that? Do you do that before you go outside too? Uh huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good idea. I mean, if it's dropping that much, and again, it may be the types of medications that you're on too that's making it, you know, sort of accentuated. But um, and as we get older too, we don't regulate blood pressure as effectively as as um, as we used to when we were younger. But yeah, that's a good idea to re- to prehydrate before you go outside. Again, with water would be fine. And you know, people ask about volume. It's it varies so much. And the good thing is, for most people, your brain's pretty good about 
telling you when you're thirsty, right? So uh, if you if you come back in after your blood pressure, you know, is a little bit lower like that, or you just feel bad, um, you're probably going to self-regulate how much fluid you're going to intake. You don't have to like measure that out so much, but you can sort of you know do that. A good way, honestly, before you go outside, if you weigh yourself, and then let's say you're outside an hour or two, and you come back in. That gives you a good estimation of if you weigh yourself when you come back in, subtract those two numbers, and that'll tell you generally how much water loss you've had because that's not an extended period of time where you would lose weight, you know, like, hey, I'm burning this many calories, I lost this much weight. Now, that was a water loss that you had. Weight loss takes much longer. Um, but that's another way to do it, and, and you can sort of estimate your fluid losses that way by weight. Okay. I just wondered if he's doing the right thing. It, it happens to me and my husband, too, and we, uh, I'm 78 and he's 79, so that's, you know, when we are on blood pressure medicines and uh, some other medicines, too, you know, and uh, but that's yeah. what we've been trying to do, drink more water when we come back in, and it does help, but uh, we just wondering if we're doing the right thing. Yeah, you're definitely doing the right thing. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Yes, ma'am, and thank you for calling. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your questions about any kind of health care topic that you might be dealing with. Let's go to Linda in Memphis. Good morning, Linda. Hi, Dr. Jimmy. I just want to ask this question. Why sure. Does, uh, why, why do people have allergies to ACE inhibitor drugs? I'm a nurse, and um, I never had to be on that allergy on the side of being allergic to something until I started taking um, medicine called lisinopril. And then uh, I took it for about three months, and then the next thing I knew, I, my face blew, everything blew up. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, I just couldn't figure out what what's in a high blood pressure medicine that a person could be allergic to to make sure. them have that type of a reaction. Yeah, that's a and great thank question. Thank that's you, a- and thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, that's a great question. It's like sort of what the mechanisms are for that. And, you know, allergies, so there there is a distinction. I, I think there. this is a good question to bring up. I don't know that we've ever addressed this to this extent, but basically, you know, when you say, hey, I've got allergies, everybody sort of defaults. Most everybody would say, oh, you have allergies to things that are in the air like pollen, tree pollen, grass pollens. Maybe it's an allergy to an insect sting or or a wasp or something like that. And that's certainly true. There's an allergic reaction that you can have to all of those things. Um, But medications are no different. Um, And if you think about it, it's sort of the same thing as food allergies. You know, a lot of people are allergic to nuts, for instance, or um, to something that they're eating, like fruit. Um, So when you eat that, your body, for whatever reason, views that as a foreign substance rather than something that is good for you. So, and it's it's hard, you can't really predict this um, very well. And in the case of ACE inhibitors, and those are things like lisinopril, benazapril, quinapril, those are all in that same category. Um, they're no different than any other medication. And uh, you can have something as um, as benign as maybe having a rash. You can have maybe a little bit of swelling around your lips, and you can have a full-blown allergic response and not be able to breathe or swallow. So there's there's a wide range of things that you can have. And 
just because you can take it for a while doesn't mean you can't acquire that. And it's not only with ACE inhibitors. You see that, you know, a, 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 that's always one that comes up with ACE inhibitors is, hey, um, what's the incidence of that? Actually, it's pretty low. It's less than, than about 1%. Now, the cough that you sometimes get with ACE inhibitors, that's through a different mechanism because of how it affects uh, a substance called bradykinin. And that's not a true allergic response. That's actually more of how it works on that angiotensin uh, uh, angiotensin, uh, symptom system and the bradykinin system. But back to the allergies, you could have that with anything. You know, a lot of people take other medications, blood pressure medications or otherwise, antibiotics, for instance, and have the exact same response. And we really don't have a good answer to that why question, why some people develop that and why some people don't. Um, we can test for that, but it's not something, again, you can test negative and then two, three, six months later, a year later, develop an allergy to that. That's And there's no way to predict that. Um, so we just have to go on symptoms. All right. Well, I appreciate that, and uh, that just helps me to understand it a, a bit better. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, allergies are a tricky thing. Our allergists are smart people, and they have to be good detectives sometimes to figure all those things out. But um, I wish, you know, there there is a lot more research and a lot more movement towards uh, sort of precision medicine with choosing the right kinds of medications that will either work better in certain people, uh, individuals, or groups of people, or... Um, you know, um, the side effect profiles of some of those. And we do have those for some medications. I, You know, I think probably one day we will be able to uh, target in and say, okay, for this individual person, they may have a, say, a 30% chance of developing an allergy. I mean, we may want to choose something else. But right now, it really is dependent upon the symptoms that you have. One thing I didn't say, uh, you know, in, in answering Linda's question is, if you do have something like that where you have swelling of the mouth and it's and you think it might be related to a medication, go ahead and stop the medication, call your physician, let them know. I have some some people that some some of my patients have stopped it and said, "Yeah, I stopped it 3 months ago and uh I just didn't want to bother you." Call your doctor um after you have that. If it is interfering with swallowing or breathing, you probably need to be seen emergently by somebody because that can very rapidly uh, cause some long-term or cause some immediate problems for you. And the treatment for that is way beyond Benadryl. So there are some things that they're going to want to assess and uh, and try to do to, to um, get those airways open back up. But um, discuss that with your physician. The good thing about blood pressure is that we have a lot of other options for that. Now, one that always comes up, if you have something like Linda described, like angioedema is the fancier doctor term for that, where you have swelling of the mouth or swelling of the airways uh, from ACE inhibitors, from something like lisinopril, can you take a different class of medication called angiotensin receptor blockers, which are a little bit of a, I guess you could think of them as a cousin to ACE inhibitors. They work similarly, but in a little bit different way. Um, but uh, there is a you know fairly significant cross-reactivity with those. So 
usually I will choose if it's a full blown allergic response like this, then I would you know choose something other than that than an angiotensin receptor blocker or ARB as a uh, as an alternative. And again, there's there's plenty of other options within our arsenal of what we treat hypertension with. I mentioned that ACE cough. That is not a reason to avoid ARBs. In fact, um, that's actually a reason to uh, change over to an ARB. Uh, medication. So complex sort of treatment, that's probably more than, than most people wanted to hear, but that is a, a question that comes up. And sometimes side effects, the other thing to, to think about is side effects aren't necessarily a allergic reaction to something. So an allergy to a medication is quite different than a side effect. And that's that's an important distinction when when physicians' offices ask you about that. And there are ways in our in our chart that we can make that distinction. Um, you can reach us right now with those questions and any more that you have. Or if you don't think about it right now, and a lot of people say, hey, I meant to call, I keep meaning to call in, I get the listening from things and I forget about it. Um, or I just get sort of tongue tied. Is there a way that I can reach you? Absolutely. You can reach us with those questions. And sometimes they're sort of extended questions that are best. Um, best sent to us by email. We try to get those uh, answered as quickly as we can, and we like to share those with our listening audience. That email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. Differences in medications can be very complex. Actually, on the way into work today, I was listening to a podcast, um, and uh, it was actually an internal medicine podcast about platelet inhibition. And those are things that, that help uh, in situations where you don't want to have blood clots to form, either small blood clots or bigger blood, blood clots and in inside vessels. And some of the, the more advanced data that we have is in stroke and cardiovascular disease prevention. And some patients may, you know, sort of question about what, why do we have so many different ways and so many different medications? Because sometimes in some situations, a patient may require not just one inhibitor of platelets like aspirin, but they might require up to three different medications. And that's because that, that is a complex pathway. And we now know that, that inhibiting parts of that pathway in different situations, depending on what the patient's risk of having a subsequent heart attack or stroke uh, or a blood clot um, on how we can treat it, minimizing the risk of, of bleeding. Because anytime you treat those patients to try to prevent that, you do have to balance it against uh, the, the risk of bleeding, particularly in, in uh, elderly individuals. So if you're over the age of 65, it may increase your risk if you fall and uh, uh, certainly falls or, or something we want to avoid in the elderly at all means. Uh, by all means, but it's uh, actually also puts you at risk for increased bleeding. So, you know, that, that's just one example of how we have so many different medications, and they do have different, um, really more targeted ways of working. And, um, you know, people might say, well, we did just fine uh, maybe, you know, 20 years ago with different things. Why did now are we having so many different medications in here? Uh, it's because they are targeted. It's almost like if you think about, you know, when when we had antibiotics that were first developed, we um, only had a few, and it was almost like you had a, a cannon that you were shooting at these. 
Well, over time, we developed, uh, the bacteria developed resistance to a lot of those, and uh, we became much more selective with um, those antibiotics and what works very targeted. And so we went from a cannon all the way down to a rifle now where we're very precise in that. And that can be much better with avoiding a lot of the resistance with antibiotics. It can certainly avoid side effects with some of those earlier say blood pressure or diabetes medications that we had, now we have ones that are very targeted on very specific pathways that can help not only control your blood sugar or your blood pressure or whatever we're trying to treat, but also to improve your lifestyle overall. And that's a big goal of all our our patients. I have discussions with my patients all the time about that. Like, what's your goals? What do you want to do? Do you want to live... 10 more years. Do you want to be healthy enough so that you can go and visit with your grandkids and pick them up? Those are all really specific goals. Uh, you know, just to live healthier, that's great if, if a patient tells me that. But I'll oftentimes press them to think about it more specifically because that can be very important in really designing a a health program that may include medications, it may include, uh, certainly should include physical activity and diet, but all of that can be very specific for the things that are very important to you in doing that uh, for the rest of your life. And that's, uh, again, it's important to me. I think it's that's the most important things to people. So uh, you really need to, you know, sort of hone in on that and, and make sure that it's as targeted as possible. In discussing those goals, too, those can change, and you need to tell your doctor, your healthcare provider, about those goals. Um, I think sometimes we don't talk about that until it's sort of after the fact, and I always appreciate if I have a new patient that comes in and they say, hey, this is these are my goals. I love that. I love working with somebody like that. Certainly something in, in teaching medical students and residents that we um, that we pay attention to, uh, you know, about those types of goals and making them as uh, specific as possible. So we were talking earlier in the program about, um, you know, sort of the avoidance of, of different things that you can get. People ask me, you know, what are the things that are really out there in the summertime that I'm likely to get from insects? And we mentioned allergies, certainly the the stinging insects or the biting insects, don't want to leave the ants out. Um, those certainly can be a nuisance. And if you have an allergic response, taking that EpiPen with you, and if you don't have one and you've had a true allergic response, not just a local swelling, but a true allergic response to an insect, make sure you tell your doctor about that because that EpiPen can save your life. It can bridge the gap between that first treatment that you have um, to getting you the uh, advanced uh, medical treatment that you need. Um, but um, that's something that you have to get with a prescription. So you need to uh, talk with them first about that. And then the avoidance of those insects, of course. So the times of day that insects are, are not likely to be out there, um, that's, that's something else to think about. And then trying to, to use something like an insect repellent and making sure you reapply that and using it appropriately can be another thing. I did also I didn't mention those clip-on type uh, things that uh, – that, uh, you know, sort of are a deterrent for insects. Those can work pretty well, too, if you don't like having something on your skin. 
you know, another thing to think about is preparing your home this summer for the heat. And again, I feel like we're going to have a hot summer this year. No way to predict that, of course. Um, but it can sneak up on you fast in Mississippi and our surrounding listening areas. So take some time to do that and have have things inspected or inspect it yourself with, uh, you know, your cooling that you have in your house and uh, make sure that you uh, maximize that and uh, take some precautions against it. We have all kinds of crazy weather this year. We've always had already had some tornadoes, lots of people without their power right now. I know, um, you know, please stay safe. If you see somebody around you that's having some, some difficulties, check on your neighbors, check on your friends and family, make sure they're doing okay. Uh, who knows, you may have power right next door that they don't, and uh, maybe you can extend a helping hand. That's what makes this state great is when we reach out and help one another. And to our listeners on the Gulf Coast, certainly, you know, make preparations to sort of stock up on some things just in case. Don't uh, You don't have to go and uh, raid the stores of everything that they have. Uh, but, you know, at least a couple of days' worth of water or other things that you would need if you were to lose power or if you had another, you know, uh, unforeseen disaster to come up, that's a great way to prepare for that and to avoid uh, some of the mishaps that you might have. The other thing to, to think about, too, is discuss with your physician if there are certain, talk a lot about medications on here, but there are certainly a lot of other treatments that patients have, like oxygen and uh, sometimes infusions that they have, uh, make sure that you ask those questions about, okay, what if I lose power? What would I do? What if, what if we have, you know, some, some kind of case where we can't get this? What's our backup system? And in a lot of ways, your insurance or um, there, there are ways to uh, help prepare for that, particularly if you're in an area that um, if your home loses power frequently, talk to your physician about that. They may can work with you on having some backup uh, with, you know, working with your medical supply store, some backup for that. Uh, certainly, it is a great time to get out and enjoy things. I did, you know, we've been talking about, you know, how the best ways to do that and prepare yourself for going out in the heat and humidity. Probably one of the best ones is choosing the time of day that you do that. Now, again, uh, I can remember back in 2000, uh, I guess it was 2010, uh, I was training through the summer for a fall marathon. And while the marathon was nice and cool, my training was not. And uh, I had to get up very early in the morning to do that, uh, sometimes, you know, 5 o'clock or even earlier than that. And while it's the coolest part of the day, it's still not that cool. And the humidity sometimes early in the morning can be stifling. But choose your times um, appropriately. I see a lot of people running, um, you know, sometimes at noon. Um, that's probably not the best idea, and it's not the most optimal time to do that. So you do want to pick your times carefully so that you minimize the risk of dehydration and overheating. Um, what do you do if somebody, either yourself or somebody next to you or in your family is overheating? Again, get them out of the heat, a cool spot. Um, if you can assist in evaporative heating, like, you know, taking off the hot clothes that they, that they have on and maybe, uh, you know, having some cool water uh, that's uh, like a towel soaked in cool water and sort of uh, rotate that out, out uh, as it gets warm, that can help. Um, or even immersion in cooler water, not ice water. That's not 
a good idea um, for you know for the treatment of heat stroke or or, um, or heat exhaustion, but uh, at least as a home remedy. But um, doing that uh, to help to cool off the body is is a good good way to do it, and then making sure that they're hydrated, that they can they can if they can drink fluids. If they are nauseated, again, if they have a bad headache or they're not, um, if they're not responding like they should, it is a good idea at that point to call 911 and get medical professionals there so that they can go ahead and start uh, treatment and take them to the hospital so that they can get some further treatment. Um, I know a lot of my patients, too, sometimes they'll ask about holding medications, and our first caller, you know, sort of mentioned this, um, uh, the, the situation of blood pressure being lower when you go outside. Should you hold medications? It's not a general recommendation to do that, and it really depends on your current, you know, your individual situation. If you have a question about that, if you'd like to hold a certain medication um, when you go outside, talk to your physician because the particularly with the most of the medications we use to treat chronic disease are longer acting and while you may see a benefit from it while you go outside um, they may be working you know well after you come back inside uh, you're not going to see the same effect so if you're not taking it so you may see your blood pressure actually go up a lot higher um, if you hold that medication so certainly Discuss that with your physician. There may be some ways to change around how you take that medication, when you take it, that can help with those situations. Um, I have a lot of patients that work outside during the, you know, during a whole year, but during the summertime, we've adjusted those medication schedules, but you need to talk to somebody who understands how long they're acting and how those medications are acting. Well, that's all the time we have for today. I want to thank everybody for calling. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. Southern Remedy is produced by Kevin Farrell. Our engineer today is Abraham Nanny. Tune to MPB Think Radio every Wednesday morning at 11 for the full Southern Remedy lineup. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.